If I have one goal, that is today, is that is just to build up our faith in the literal word of God in Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you this morning about the life giver. The life giver. As we go through the book of Acts, the life giver. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. The doctor continued a CPR for what seemed like an eternity on the lifeless baby boy. It was in 2004, missionaries Jerry and Karen Jacob, they were missionaries to the Solomon Islands, and they were hosting this healthcare team on this remote island, a doctor and a few nurses. And one of the nurses comes in and rushes in and grabs Karen, the missionary's wife. A mother had just given birth outside in their very simple, simple healthcare tent that they had set up. As she entered this small cubicle, there were two American nurses and a doctor, and they are working desperately on the lifeless gray baby. No supplies, no oxygen, no suction, none of all the things that we would have here in the States. And all they could do was CPR. And one of the nurses, being a Christian, just talked to the missionary's wife and said, all we can do is pray as a doctor continued CPR for what seemed like an eternity. As they began to pray, nothing was happening. And so the nurse shouted again, pray louder, pray louder. And they, the missionary's wife just grabbed the other nurse's hands. They began to pray out loud and began to call on the name of Jesus loudly. It's 10 minutes. It's time to call it. But then a cry came from that little baby and the color returned. And they were able, the missionaries were able to go to that mom and to tell her who did not believe in Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ has given you back your son. How many know Jesus is still the same? He's still good. He's still willing. He's still able. And why should we believe that God still heals, He still restores, and He still sets free? It's because that's who He is. That is who He is. Jesus is a life giver, and He will always be a life giver. Have you ever had someone who didn't know you very well, maybe you just started a new job or, or even in a church or someone began to question like, you know, your motives or question like what you really felt about something. Maybe they thought you, you had a bad attitude or they thought you weren't very friendly or they thought maybe you made a decision because of some other motive and you're, you, you know if it was your best friend, they would know how you think and how you feel, right? Because sometimes when we don't know someone very well, we can speculate well, that's the reason they're doing that. That's the reason they're thinking that. But when I know someone, and those who know you, what? They know most likely how you'll act in a situation. They know what you would do in this situation. They know how you feel uh, when those things are done to you. They can speculate how you might talk about this situation. Because the more I've spent time in relationship with you, I know your heart. I know what you might do in a situation. I think this morning that's... One of our big issues I want to address is I want us to know him more, to know how God acts, who he is, and what he is willing to do in every situation. Because if I know someone, I'll come to know their heart, I'll come to know their will. You see, Jesus is Savior, he's Redeemer, he's Restorer, he's Liberator, he's Healer, and he's Resurrector. That is who he is. And because I know who he is, I can know what he's willing to do. I can look at what he's always done, and I can believe still today what he's still yet willing to do because God is still alive. He's still the same. He's still Redeemer. He's still Healer. He's still Restorer. But, you know, we often speculate on God's motives. We, we kind of doubt maybe what God's going to willing to do in our case, in our situation. Why is that? It's either one, we really don't 
know Him enough to believe in who He is. Maybe we just know Him at a distance. Maybe you just know Him religiously. Maybe we're not always certain if God can really, really break the chains of addiction or depression. Maybe we're really not certain still today if it's God's will to heal someone. Maybe we're not sure if He still wants to do those things outside the Bible. Maybe God's changed His mind on some things. So here's what happens. We pray these general, broad, no-risk prayers at a distance. And we pray them, and because why? We think, well, if I, if I stepped out in faith on what I felt the Lord tell me or do, then I might cause God to have a bad name. Well, what if it doesn't happen? What if God doesn't do it? Well, then, then they might doubt God. They might, they might, you know, they turn away from God and never believe God again. Let me tell you something. God is a lot bigger than you are. There's been a lot of bigger people trying to tell people who God is. We have had dictators and, and evil, evil men throughout the history of the world burn every Bible and tell people you're gonna, this is what God is and what he's not. God is bigger than any one person and you'll never, never shame or discredit the name of God. His name is above every name. There's nothing you can do to hinder the name of God. He's bigger than you and he's bigger than me. Amen. We don't want to give him a bad name or we don't want someone to doubt God but the real danger is that we really don't believe that every single word, if God's word is true. You see, I think today in America specifically, we're fine to follow a very natural man-centered Christianity. It's an intellectual faith today. It's got good moral codes. We fight our social issues. Uh, we believe God can do some gradual emotional healing in people's lives as they continue to go to church a lot more. We can believe that God will help us stop sinning as we put a lot of effort in and try harder or read the right Bible devotional books and get in a small group. We believe we can, that God still gradually heals through doctors or maybe not at all. We want to avoid all the spooky spiritual things that are the spiritual gifts in the Bible. We don't even come close in the modern church to casting out demons anymore. We just believe that God is, this is who God is today. He's a rational God. He's a moral God. He's a religious God. You see, Jesus could only do very few miracles in his hometown because they did not believe in who he really was. But Acts tells of these young men who really, really believed in him. And God set those young men aflame by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they went out preaching in the name of Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, as Restore. They saw blind healed. They saw deaf healed. They saw the lame walk. They saw the prisoners and the captives set free. They even saw resurrection from the dead. Why? Because they knew who he is. They knew who he is. What would happen if we just increased our faith just a little? If we just increased the atmosphere of faith in our life, what might God do among us if we just began to believe him for more? That he really could change lives radically. He really could set people free literally. What might he do among us if we just came to know him as Jesus the life giver? Look with me in Acts chapter 9 verse 32. If you're there, somebody say amen. Jesus is still working. He's still working. And now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years where he was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Come on, parents, that's a good verse for you, for your kids on the door. Get up and make your bed. And all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. 
Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated in Greek, is called Dorcas. And this woman was abounding with the deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time, she fell sick and she died. And when they'd washed her body, they laid, her, laid it in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there. And they sent two men, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter rose and went with them. And when they arrived, they brought him into the upper room. And all the widows who stood beside him weeping and showing him all the tunics and garments that Dorcas or Tabitha had used to make while she was still with them. But Peter sent them all out. He knelt down and he prayed. And he turned to the body and he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And she gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling all the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known over all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. They believe Jesus is still the life giver. He could have not been the life giver anymore. He, went, he, he died on the cross, and he was in a tomb. Is he still the life giver? He got up. He went to heaven. Maybe he's not here anymore with us. Maybe that was just when he was walking the earth, but he wanted to be sure he is still the life giver. So what, let's backtrack and kind of look at this a little bit. So we find Peter it lit. It's this Gentile city. It's about 25 miles north of Jerusalem. He's followed Jesus for several years with the apostles. He saw through those seasons Jesus' compassion for the broken. He saw his willingness to heal untold thousands. In many places he went and power flowed through him and he healed the entire town. Thousands would come and he saw Jesus day and night sleepless just going and laying hands on every single person who came to him. He never turned one single person away. And listen to me, in the Bible not one single person ever came to Jesus for a healing and went away still sick. Every single person he came to, he was willing to heal, and they were healed. And Peter saw this willingness in Jesus. He remembers that moment with that man who was 38 years ill by the pool, and he told him at the pool, he said, pick up your pallet and walk. He was even on the Sabbath day in John 5. So Peter now he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's had Jesus working through him. Peter now, he's felt the Holy Spirit come in him. He's seen Christ do great things in his life. He's abiding in Christ. Even Peter now has seen hundreds healed, even as his shadow walks by people. And now he walks into this room, into this place, and he feels something from the Holy Spirit. And he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, not Peter, Jesus Christ heals you. What was he saying? He says, the same things I saw Jesus do, Jesus is still doing today. As Jesus says, I'm not the one doing this, but I do what I see my father do. Now what Jesus was doing as he saw the father do it, now Peter was doing as he saw Jesus do it. He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ is still the life giver, and it's Jesus Christ who is healing you. Not me. I just sense from the Holy Spirit, Jesus has spoken to me. I'm coming to this room. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Well, in about that time, 10, 10, minutes, 10 miles away, believers show up. Tabitha, she was a very wealthy lady. She had an upper story house, so that meant she was very wealthy. She had been supporting the ministry. Maybe she was one of the leaders of that home church. And she had a great ministry for the poor and the outcast, the widow. As he walked in the room, he saw their great love for her. No doubt he can remember that moment where Jesus wept over Lazarus. 
Jesus had compassion on them all, the Bible says, and he healed them. Jesus was a man of compassion, and Peter sees the compassion right here. This is the heart of Jesus for this follower. He has compassion for their pain in this moment, and he knows that Jesus is still the life giver who has compassion for their pain. And he saw that moment even remembering maybe Jairus' daughter, where he takes, goes into that room with that little 12-year-old girl had died with Jairus, and he puts all the family out except for those three closest to Jesus and the two parents because he knows that he can't work in an atmosphere of unbelief. And he sets the atmosphere of faith, and he says to Jairus' dad, don't stop believing. That's not the, the song, right? He says, but if you'll believe, anything is possible. She's only asleep. She's only asleep. And he says, he saw Jesus say, Tabitha, arise. I think it's so interesting to the very same thing Jesus said to the little girl, Peter now says to Tabitha, Tabitha, arise. Jesus is still today the life giver. He didn't just leave us alone when he went up to heaven, but he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and these signs will follow those who believe. Until I come back again, I'm still going to continue to be the life giver in people's uh, broken places, in their hurting places. In that lifeless room, Jesus was still working, and Peter only did what he saw Jesus do. Peter did what he knew Jesus to be. He knew confidently Jesus was the life giver. You see, how does your life and my life testify to the world that Jesus is still the life giver today? It's very easy to look at this book and say, what's well, a, that happened back then, it's an old antiquated book, you know, it's, it was great, God did that back then, so, so we'd have this Bible and people would believe it, but, but is he still the life giver? Is he still working today? Is he still interested in using his church to tell the world who he is? You see, I'm going to give you three things. Number one, he is still Savior. He's still Savior. You know, for many, it's not hard to believe that Jesus saves. It's almost pretty common. We see it everywhere. We have churches all across America. It's pretty easy to believe that God can save me from my sins because, after all, don't I deserve to be saved? I know what we think. That's what most people think. Oh, yeah, of course God will save you. Just ask for forgiveness. That's a pretty common thing. But back in the day, that was not very common. It was a lot easier back in the day to believe that God could heal. God healed, uh, the demons healed people through these pagan religions. The Pharisees would even have certain prayers and chants for healing. It was not uncommon for people to see the healings in the ancient world. Go look it up. Every religion has things about healing. People have always believed in healing, but they've not really believed by salvation without works. It was very hard for them to believe, number one, that he was a savior, but can he forgive? Can he restore? Can he raise the dead? You see, if Jesus doesn't heal, if Jesus doesn't restore, then he can't save. Look with, look with me in Matthew 9, 5. Because here's what he says about the body and the soul. He says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. He proved that day he was interested in both body and soul. He says, is it easier for me to heal someone or for me to save someone? I'm going to tell you they're both linked. 
He says, if I can't heal them, then there's no way I can save them. So let me show you something. I'm going to heal this man so you'll know that the Son of God can not only heal the, the broken body, but he can heal the broken soul. He has both authority to heal body and spirit, body and soul. Jesus is interested in the whole person. He has a plan of redemption for the whole person. I'm going to prove it to you hopefully by the end of the day. You see, Christ's ability to heal has always been in Scripture a witness of his authority to forgive sins. If Jesus is not a healer, he is not a savior. If he is not a deliverer, then, you know, uh, drugs, alcohol, addiction, if he can't break chains, he can't resurrect your body. He is all things. He is everything. He is interested in redeeming the entire person. And you have to have faith in that. You see, there was these two testimonies. In the Ark of the Covenant, you got a picture on it. The Ark of the Covenant. In that covenant, God said to Moses, Moses, I want an agreement with you. I will covenant to bless you. I'll make you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation of people for my possession. I want you to make a, a mercy seat, which is the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. It had the angels on it. This is a symbol of my throne. My throne is going to dwell in the midst of my people. I will rule and reign. My kingdom will be in there. Moses, as long as I am on the throne in the midst of you, I will rebuke the devourer for you. The diseases of Egypt will not come on to you. I will uh, walk with you to the promised land every step of the way. You won't have to worry about food. You won't have to worry about water. You won't have to worry about disease. You won't have to worry about enemies. As long as I'm in the midst, my presence will go before you and behind you. It will overshadow you. You keep me on the throne. But here's a problem. The Ten Commandments were broken. From the very beginning, we broke it. We didn't have a chance. They were broken and smashed. And what they did is the Jews put both commandments. There were two sets of tablets in that throne. One was smashed and one was whole. One was broken by man, one was made by God. There was two testaments, an Old Testament and a New Testament. And in that, when God began to look down on how he could rest in the middle of the people on his throne and be in their midst and be their healer, be their deliverer, be their victor, he said, I can't come in the midst unless you cover that thing with blood. He said, Moses, take the lifeblood of an innocent lamb, put it on that throne. Put it, cover it over that mercy seat so when I look down, I'll see innocent life shed for the broken law that you've broken. He said, that's the only way I can heal you, bless you, give you victory in your life. That's the only way I can get you to the promised land. So God being rich in mercy, when we knew he broke that Old Testament, he had a New Testament waiting and ready. He sent his only son the Bible says to make atonement for men, to be a covering for us. And see, on that cross on that day, he became our mercy seat. Yes. He became the covering. So when God looked at a broken, worthless world, he saw his son covering us by his own body. It was his body that hanged on that cross for your body. His body was broken so your body could be whole. And when he poured out his blood on that mercy seat. It was his life that was given up for your life. And now his life is given to you. And now God only sees that new covenant. He only sees what God has done. See, everything, everything with Jesus gets better. Everything with Jesus gets better. I'm gonna show you Romans. Look at Romans 5, 15. You see, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many would die, much more, much more, somebody say much more, 
much more did the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. What does that mean? That means that what was broken has been covered by the broken body of Christ. That means the life he gave, you can now gain. It means not only does Jesus save, but he restores, he heals, he delivers, he sets free. For by his wounds, you were healed both in body and in soul. It means that Christ gives you more than sin took. Christ gives more than sin took. He did not just save your soul. He saved your emotions. He saved your mind. He saved your heart. He saved your body. He is interested in the whole you. And just as he was trying not just to get them to the promised land, he said, I will be your victor on the way to the promised land. I'll be your healer on the way to the promised land. I'll provide your financial resources on the way to the promised land. God is not just trying to get you to heaven. He wants to be a throne in the middle of you. He wants to invite you into his kingdom. But you have to believe it to receive it. You have to believe God is interested in all of you. Every part of his, your life is his life. He is still savior and he is still healer. Lonnie, where yet? He is still healer. I asked Lonnie to just share with us, so many of you may not know Lonnie's testimony, but a few years, God did a major work in his body, and uh, I just want him to share about it real quick. Well, I had to put this on paper, because if I don't, I'll ramble. It's, it's, it, God did so much. I can't, I can't tell the story uh, without getting emotional myself. I've got to give you some context. I was raised in church by that woman sitting on a pew back there. Until I was 16 and my, my grandmother passed away. And I quit going to church and went on with my life. I spent about 40 years not going to church. And a few years ago, I'm not going to get into how it happened, but God got a hold of me in my house. And I didn't know what to do. I couldn't breathe. I called this church. I didn't even know the pastor's name. I called this church. And I asked for the pastor. I could barely talk. And he calmed me down. He said, just listen, God's talking. Just listen. And I felt God tell me that day that it was my job to help him spread the word because time is short and people need to be saved. He wanted me to help him do it. So I started coming to church. And I got into ministry. And I started studying. And with the help of Pastor Heath, I learned all I could learn as fast as I could learn it. I knew time was short. And getting up to this point, in the spring of 2018, I was out in the woods doing some work where I deer hunt. And I started hurting real bad in my lower abdomen. So I, I dropped, stopped what I was doing. I went home. By the time I got out of my truck, I couldn't stand up. I, I was hunched over, walking in the house. My wife asked me what was wrong. I told her I didn't know. I was going to lay down, and she said, if it doesn't get better, you need to go to the emergency room. And it didn't get better. I ended up in the emergency room. They scanned me. They said I had an abscess on my colon. 
So they send me to Rapids. I get there. They scan me. They put a drain in my tube, tube in me. I spent five days on a drain tube taking antibiotics. I get over it. They discharge me. They say, okay, now look, if you hurt again, if you start running a fever, especially get back to the emergency room. One month later, I'm in the same place doing the same stuff. I start hurting again the same way. So I go straight to the emergency room. They scan me again. They say, well, looks like your abscess is back. But we're going to have to do a colonoscopy to make sure, because we're not sure if it's the same one or a different one. So they do the colonoscopy. They come out, well, that's all clean. So they do some more tests. The radiologist comes back and says, well, there's a mass in his left, lower left pelvic region. So they want, the doctor comes in. He says, look, you know, we, the radiologist says there's a mass. I need to go in and see. He said, do you, are you okay with a 30-minute let me go in, look around, see what it is so we know where to go. And I'm like, sure. So, Pastor, my wife are there while I go into 30-minute surgery. I wake up in my room three hours later. My wife's there. She tells me, you know, everything went good. Doctor be here in a few minutes. Doctor comes in, grabs a piece of paper and writes down this long name and says, uh, I can't tell you 100% you got cancer until I see the pathology report. But I've done this a lot and I know what I've seen. He said, your abdomen's full of nodules and mucin and you need to go to Houston because that's the only place that can do anything for you. So after he told me this, he left. And my wife, she said, I'm going to get something to drink. Because I'm sure she knew I needed some time. So I'm laying here in the bed and I'm thinking, God, what am I going to do now? Well, I knew that my family was praying. I knew my church was praying. I said, i got to pray for myself. So I started praying. And in this prayer, I started praying the will of God. Actually, I'm like, you know, why am I scared? I'm, I'm preparing to preach to people that God is the ultimate decision maker. He knows what's best. So in my prayer, I gave it to Him. The moment I realized that I had the faith it took to see this through, it felt like somebody pulled a sheet over me, a physical sensation from my head to my feet. I felt physically. So they discharged me from the hospital. The doctor says it's going to take a couple of days to get the pathology report. I said, okay. So I'm at home. Nine o'clock one night, this doctor calls me. He says, Mr. Carrier, I'm sorry for calling this lady. He said, but I've been on the phone all day with my colleague in Shreveport, oncologist. And we don't know where to go from here. He said, normally we slice the specimens up on the each end and in the middle to run the test. He said, but I made them slice the whole thing up and test it because it keeps coming back saying no cancer. But I highly suggest you get a second opinion. So I go to the VA. They send me to Houston. All my stuff goes before a tumor board. Surgeons, oncologists, all the whole staff. And they said, yeah, we're taking the case. 
So they said, well, look, we've got to go in and we've got to look at your entire abdomen. So they went in, another surgery, and they took hundreds of biopsies. And they tested every one of them. And they set me up for chemotherapy in Baylor University where they was going to have to bathe my intestines by hand in chemo. But just before that happened, the doctor said, look, I've got to cancel your chemotherapy. He said, I can't subject you to chemo if every test comes back negative. Come on, somebody. So I just wanted to let you all know that this past May, I made my last trip to Houston for my last scan. I'm done. I'm healed. It's over. Amen. How many know God is still a healer? He's still a healer. He's still a healer. You know, in this church, we believe in doctors and medicine. We believe in taking care of your body. We believe in rest. We believe we get old. We have dis issues in our bodies. They wear out. We know that sometimes people die before their time. We know sometimes we might be called to suffer in trials and tribulation, but it doesn't mean God's still not a healer. He's still a healer. And why should I believe he heals? Because number one, it's his will. Every single person who came to Jesus received their healing. He had compassion on all of them, the Bible says. It was his will. It was his work. Just like the atonement of Jesus Christ provided for both body and soul, Jesus, like a good doctor, diagnosed the problem on that day. When he died on the cross, he diagnosed the problem with every sin and sickness in the world. Every disease, every issue in the world is really sin. That's the root cause of all of it. And so when he dealt with sin, he dealt with everything. When he dealt with sin, he dealt with the issues of our mind, our body, and our soul. He dealt with the source. I love what Andrew Murray says. He says, the pardon of sin and the healing of sickness complete one another. For in the eyes of God, who sees our entire nature, sin and sickness are as closely united as the body and the soul. You see, Jesus gained the right to heal you on the cross. He gained the power over sickness and disease and death. It was his message from the very beginning of the gospel. He began to re uh, preach repentance and began to heal many uh, sick and those who were oppressed by the enemy. Jesus, the Bible says in 1 John, came to destroy the works of the devil and everything that came with that, addiction, disease, and death. He came to destroy every part of the devil's work. Healing has always been proof of the power of the gospel. On every mission field and every revival and every venture since the time of Jesus' ministry, there has always been healings as evidence of God's soul-winning power. Somebody say amen. He even said in Mark 16, signs would follow those who would believe in his name. They would lay their hands on the sick and they would recover. And healing is not only his will, his work, his message, but it's for his glory. It's always for his glory. Look in James 5.13 just really quick. James 5.13, here's our prescription for the saints of God. He says, is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And if the prayer offered in faith, somebody say faith, Faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Look how he joins the prayer of faith for sickness and the prayer of salvation. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Healed. 
The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish this. What does he say? Number one, he says, confess and examine yourself. Not always in Scripture is it a result of our individual healing. Jesus was very clear about that. Sometimes people are just sick because there's sickness in the world. That's part of our fallen nature. And uh, sometimes it's for the glory of God to be revealed in our life. It's not always personal, but in John 5, sometimes it is because of some things that are going on in our life. Luke 13, sometimes it's the activity of Satan against us. Even churches, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that if we're not judging ourselves rightly, if there's division and any in enmity between us and the church, he said that's why many of you are weak and sick in this church. It's because there's fighting among you and you're not walking in God's blessings for your life and your body. So he says, examine and confess your sins to one another so you can be healed to make sure there's nothing the devil has a foothold in your life. And increase that faith. He says, pray for one another. Submit to elders in your church. Be praying for one another. Be in a community of faith. Be obedient to what God's called you to do. And he says, pray the prayer of faith. What's that? You see, you can't earn or deserve a healing, but you can freely receive it. You see, just as salvation is by grace through faith, so is healing. Every count of healing in Scripture has either produced healing or was the result of healing in someone's life. Jesus said, nothing is impossible with a mustard seed faith. How many believe that today? Nothing is impossible with a mustard seed faith. To the woman who had the issue of bleeding, he said, your faith has healed you. To the father of the afflicted child, he said, if you can believe... And what did he say? Well, Lord, help my unbelief. Because he knew without faith we're powerless. We don't believe if God is on the throne in the midst of us, he's still God of our body and God of our soul. And so we're trusting our bodies into the Lord. He says, have faith. Pray the prayer of faith. We say, well, Lord, if it be your will, I encourage you, if that's your prayer, read Luke 5.13. To the leper, he said, Lord, if it your will, heal me. And he says, I am willing. I'm willing. I'm a God who's a healer. That's my nature. That's who I am. I'm always willing to heal. God is never not willing to heal. He is a healer. Does it always come instantaneously? No, but he's always a healer. He's never not a healer. His will is always healing. I will go through every account of healing scripture with you. God is always willing to heal. He never wills sickness. That's not the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is light and life. He is always a healer. We, but like Abraham, what do we do? We entrust our whole self to God. We're persuaded, this is my God. He is my healer. I surrender my life to him. No matter what comes, like Lonnie says, live or die, my life is the Lord's. My life is the Lord's. He is my healer even if I don't see it. He's my healer. Even if I don't feel it yet, he's still my healer because that's who he is. So I stand more on the word of God than on my situation. No matter what I see, just like Job, even in sickness and death, I will bless the Lord. He is the Lord that gives and takes away, but he's always God and he's always good. He's always good. He's always a healer. Or maybe we'll say, well, Lord, if it be possible, maybe you don't know about his will, maybe it's his power. If it be possible, I'm going to tell you something in Scripture. Every sickness submitted to Jesus. To a woman with issue of blood, she knew and believed. She said, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. And it was her faith that pressed through the doubt and unbelief and all the things of the world until she got to him. And when she touched him, he said, power flowed from me. And he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. You had faith in who I am and faith in what I can do. I'm always willing to heal. We say, well, pastor, I've done that. I believe in the Lord. I, I'm doing this. Well, let me give you Psalms 25, 3. Just wait on the Lord. 
You see, he says, the word of God says, indeed, none of those who wait for you will be put to shame. He is not a God who is there to punish you, to uh, curse you. He is not a God who, even if he doesn't quickly answer, it means I have to believe and trust on the word of God. No matter what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm seeing in my circumstance, I will wait confidently on the Lord for he is my hope. He is my expectation. He is my healer. Waiting on the Lord means this, that you seek the Lord for your healing and you believe on it. To have faith in waiting, Andrew Murray says, that you'll surrender your body absolutely to the Lord's hand and you'll leave yourself entirely to him. It means I rest on his word. I rest on his promise. It means I confess in waiting. Exodus fifteen twenty six. He is the Lord that healeth me. He is the God, my healer. Even though I don't see it, I trust him. Even though I don't experience it, I believe in it. He is a God who heals. He is a healer. That is his nature. That is his will. And he is still working today. I will wait on the Lord and trust in his word more than anything else. He is who he says he is. Beth and I know what it's like to go from doctor to doctor with no answer to suffer in body for years, to find no solutions from modern medicine, to plead with the Lord, to suffer silently. We know what it's like in our marriage to hang, hang on to the weight and the cloud of darkness that makes you want to give up and question God, that a darkness that erodes your very mind and your very heart and very soul away. Let me tell you something. Here's why I know God cares about your body and your soul. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God. You are a tabernacle for God's glory on this earth. God is invested in every part of you. The Bible says he cares about every hair. Hair! Come on, men who are balding. He cares about every hair still left on your head. He knows every hair. He knows everything about you. He's invested in the wholeness of you. He loves everything about you. He loves you. He made you. And you are a dwelling place of the temple of the Most High God. You are the dwelling place. And why do I know he still cares about your body and he's not just interested in your soul? Here's why. As Peter stood there weeping with widows, he remembered that he is still a God who's a resurrector. He is a savior. He is a healer. He is a resurrector. You see, they didn't fully understand the theology at this time in the early church that Jesus was still able to resurrect. In fact, in Paul, in the First Thessalonians, you'll see there are people worried. Well, oh my gosh, Jesus hadn't come back yet. I thought we were supposed to all go to heaven before anybody died that was a Christian. And here they have this weeping, and they were really unconsolable. I, I, don't, I don't, what if he's not the resurrector? What if he just forgot about us? Peter walks into this room with this lifeless body, and he wanted to show them Jesus is still a life giver. Jesus came through Peter and wanted to speak into this young early church with one of their church leaders. Have faith in God. Jesus is still a life giver. Even though he went to heaven, he's still working on the earth through his church. He is not just up there waiting for you to get to heaven. He, like Israel, is on the road with you to the promised land. Put his throne in the midst of you. He is a God who goes before you and behind you, who overshadows you, who provides your water in dry and barren lands. Your bread every morning is because the goodness of God. He's a God that heals all your disease and forgives all your iniquities. That is the God who is with you and he is for you and he's not against you. This God is still here and he's still available today. You see, Paul says, let me tell you something in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're blessed to have a long, satisfied life like Psalms 91, 
If you're blessed to get to that time in your life, in your 70 plus years, that your body has come to wear out, one day you will succumb to that fatigue. But the Bible says, for you, saint of God, there is only a rest in Jesus. There is only a deep sleep for your body in the Lord. You will never taste death. You will never die if you are a saint of God. He said it's a final rest. Paul said, if you are absent from this body, guess what? What is it? To be present with the Lord. But Paul says in this, he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. You will not all sleep but you will all, all of you, be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. You will all be changed. This old mortal will put on immortality. This body, the Greek word there is metamorphosized. Jesus is not just going to give you a new body. Let me give you some newsflash. It's a changed old body. He's still interested in the body he gave you. It will just be changed. He will resurrect those ashes and that dust. I don't know how he's going to do it, but it'll be like that caterpillar that goes in that cocoon. It goes into the ground one way. It comes out another way. God has a plan to heal you completely in his glory. Man, he is interested in your body now and then. He's interested in your whole self both body and spirit. The Bible says in Romans 8, the spirit will give life to your mortal bodies. How can you say God's not interested in your bodies? Your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and he has a plan for that body in glory. I just want you, listen to me, you can debate theology all you want, I just want you to believe the word of God. Don't believe me, read scripture. This morning before I got here, I was like, Lord, help me to preach this with faith. I just went through Luke, the whole Gospel of Luke, and underlined every word that said Jesus healed. You'd be amazed. Man, your faith will increase. Just believe the Word of God. I'm not preaching denomination or doctrine. I'm preaching Jesus. He's still a life giver. He is who He says He is. Yesterday, today, and forever. So are you in need? In your body? Are you in need in your soul? Are you lacking in faith? He is willing. Jesus, he is always willing. He's always willing to be a life giver in whatever way you need him to be. Would you stand with me this morning all across this room? Let's just all stand together. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just believe right now. Can we just call forth faith before we just leave this place? Many places they just had to look and there's one, one place in Luke where it says that there was a room full of Pharisees. They were questioning Jesus with reason and rationale. But some men had some kind of crazy faith to cut a hole in a roof. And the Bible says, and the Lord saw there was faith there that day. There was enough faith for him to do a miracle in that room. Because those men had faith to press through and to get into Jesus. You may be living today in a room full of doubt and disbelief. The atmosphere in your life may be to where you don't believe God is interested in what you're going through. I, Lord, I need life for my marriage. I need life to come in my body. I need life into my emotions. I need life into some pain in my past. I need life for this situation in my kids. God, I need life. Let me tell you something. You may have to cut through a roof in your life, but if you can just press in and have some faith and just get to where Jesus is in your heart. He is always willing. He is always able. He's the life giver. He's the life giver. 
Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen. It will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe, believe, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Believe. He's the life giver. Father, Lord, we just respond to your word today in Jesus' name. You're here today, and you don't have the most important miracle Jesus ever did, eternal life. Eternal life. If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Just let every man examine himself. Every one of us examine ourselves. Lord, am I right with you? Do I have peace with God? Do I have an abiding relationship with the Holy Spirit? Have I been born again? Am I alive in Christ? Do I sense a confident security that I can cry out, Father, Father, and I know that I am a child of God? Have you confessed and truly believed on Jesus Christ? The Bible says the weight of our sin is the death. It's eternal separation from God and punishment thereof but the free gift of God. Oh, it's life and it's life abundantly. You can have an abundant life today. You can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Every kingdom promise can be yours. The Lord will be with you.